Try that again. Good morning, church family. Helps when you turn that on, usually. Um, I'm very thankful that we are gathered together this morning uh, to hear the word of God from Acts chapter 27. We're going to be in verses 27 through 44. If you're new to River Oaks, if you're joining us online this morning for the first time or you haven't been here in a while, we're working our way through the book of Acts. We've been in it for a little bit more than a year, and we're getting very close to the end. But if you remember, especially in the past couple of weeks, we've been hearing about Paul's journey by boat to Rome. And last week we heard that a storm has come and the, and the ship has been tossed and, and uh, they've been lost at sea. In this passage this morning, as we, as we look at it, we're going to see that we need wisdom. Wisdom on how to act in places of fear and chaos and wisdom to know how to trust God's promises on how to act based on those promises being true. We need wisdom in that way too. And so as we think about the shipwreck, I want you to think about it like this. It's been 14 of the longest days of these men's lives. Paul and 275 other souls on the boat, two weeks, 336 hours. I did the math this week just to figure that out. Where they've been lost at sea. No way to navigate. None of them have eaten, it says, for 14 days, and they continue to be carried along on the sea like a ghost ship, bobbing to and fro as the waves just carry them where the waves want to. Danger has been on every side, and hope has been both abandoned and thankfully also restored by the words of God's messenger. And as we see in our text today, now on the night of the 14th day, something has changed. There's a new sound in the air, the sound of waves crashing against the land in the distance, breakers washing up on an unseen beach somewhere. And even as this sound is an answer to the prayers of these weary and desperate sailors, it comes at a really difficult time. For as close as land may be, they can't possibly hope to land safely with the rocks and the reefs in the darkness. And so in that sense, the distance between danger and safety isn't always very far apart. In fact, sometimes the danger, great danger, comes when safety is right within sight. And this is where we find ourselves at the opening of verse 27. Danger, chaos, fear is all around. And real threats need to be dealt with. And God's promise to Paul that those on the ship, that none of them will lose their lives, but the ship will be lost from verse 22, that's also echoing into this passage. So we have danger on one hand, and we have God's promise on the other. What is needed is wisdom to know how to act in light of that danger while fully trusting God's promises and his goodness. So here's where we live. Circumstances every day need our attention. And real dangers lie close at hand. God's promises aren't meant to keep us from acting, not to keep us from speaking, and his promises aren't meant to keep us from serving others, but in fact, his promises inform our actions, giving us hope and confidence as we live our lives out in this world. And so, brothers and sisters, our main idea this morning as we look to the text is we need wisdom to act on the promises of God. We need wisdom in action 
as we trust wholeheartedly in his word. And so we're going to walk through the passage in this way. We need wisdom to overcome fear and chaos. Or as the passage says, we need wisdom in the night. Verses 27 to 32. We need wisdom to be ready for action, to be prepared for the action that's going to take place in the day. So we need wisdom at dawn. And lastly, we need wisdom to live in a manner worthy of Christ, which is the third point. We need wisdom in the day. So wisdom in the night, wisdom in the dawn, and wisdom in the day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, as we seek you. Father, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Father, I pray that we would come to you in reverent awe this morning. God, that you would increase our wisdom and joy as we behold you in your glory. God, I pray that we would take you at your word, your promises and your scriptures, that they would encourage and strengthen us. Father, that we would stand boldly and act decisively based upon your word, knowing that you will bring all of your promises to pass. Not one of them will fail. So Father, whether we are in the most joyful time of our life or the most difficult, you are the bedrock, the foundation upon which we stand, our faith in you. So lead us, give us wisdom, and help us to act rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. As you have your Bibles open, look with me in verse uh, 27 of Acts chapter 27. Hear the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. It says this. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they, were, then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach in which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely. 
to land. That is the word of the Lord for us, brothers and sisters. So as we begin in verses 27 through 32, again, we need wisdom to overcome fear and chaos, or in other words, we need wisdom in the night. As the, soul, as the sailors hear those waves crashing against the shore, they know it's out there. They, you know, they don't have spotlights on their ship. They don't have tons of lights of a city uh, you know, on the island that they can see where they're navigating. So they know there's land somewhere, but they aren't sure where it is. And so they let down this line to try to figure out how deep the water is. This is a sounding line. And as you look at the text, you might be saying, what is a sounding? It sounds like, you know, echolocation or something. They didn't have sonar. Uh, Sounding comes from the word meaning sea, at least in that. And so they would drop down this rope and it has markers on it that would, you know, every so often it would mark the fathom so they could tell how deep it was. These guys were smart. They weren't dummies. As soon as they knew that land was getting near, they wanted to figure out as much information as they can. And though their technology is ancient by today's standards, some say it's upwards of 3,000 years old, it might surprise you to know that some ships today still use this system as a backup. If their sonar's out or their electrical systems aren't working, they drop a line down and see how deep it is. And so as they're carried along, they first take a measurement, and it's 120 feet deep, 20 fathoms. And as they go a little bit further, they recognize that now it's, we're 90 feet from the ship to the bottom of the ocean. They're nearing land, which is good news, except that it's pitch black, and they can't hope to navigate safely at nighttime. And so verse 29 tells us, fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern, and they prayed for day to come. They prayed. Because if the anchors don't hold, they're going to be crushed by the waves and the rocks. They're doing all that they know how to do. They're using all of their experience. They're using all of their intelligence. And yet it might still not be enough to save them. And so they pray. We're going to come up with situations in our own lives that we can't fix that we can't use our intelligence to get out of. What do we do in those situations? How do we respond when, when that danger arises? In verses 27 through 32, we see two very different responses from the sailors. As the waves are continually crashing against that shore, some of them panic. And it leads them into these places of, of just self-centered, trying to protect themselves or willing to Sacrifice everyone else for their own lives. That's one response that we're going to see. But some of them pray. And again, think about your own responses for a moment. When you find yourself in a place like this where danger or fear, temptation seem close at hand, maybe even amplified by the night, do you panic? Is your response marked by that? Do you get angry? Do you let fear lead you to really rough places? Do you pray? And do you cling to the promises of God? See, I think most of the time, most of the time it feels like things happen as they normally happen. Day goes after day goes after day, and it seems pretty much the same as the one before. And it can be easy for us to be lulled into a sense of false security. But things can change very quickly, can't they? 
Just this past summer, Catherine, my wife, and me, and, and our kids were on a family vacation with the rest of our family at a, at a lake house. And it was the last night of our vacation, so we're trying to uh, basically make it easier once we get back. So we're trying to do the laundry and stuff, get that all ready, have all our stuff packed up so it's easy to get out in the morning. And so it's around midnight, the kids are asleep. I'm putting away some of the stuff and Kat is taking one last load to the laundry to get it finished. And I hear a thump in the hallway. And so I know it's not good. So I walk over to the banister and I look down to the left because it's kind of high and you're looking down. And I see my wife laying on the floor crying, holding her foot, you know, laundry spread everywhere. She'd missed the last step before the landing. One moment we're getting ready to go to bed and the, and the next moment we're heading to the hospital. Only a few things came to mind for me in that moment. The first is I need someone to, to keep an eye on my kids while we have to go if they wake up. Thankfully, we had a house full of family who could do that. But the second was I need to get Kat to the hospital. I don't know where the hospital is. I've got to figure out where that is. Thankfully, I had my phone told me how to get there. We got there safely. But the most important thing was I recognize it. We need to pray. Kat's hurting. She's crying. I can't help her. I can't heal her. So we prayed. We asked God for his mercy and strength. Prayed that God would sustain her, and he did. But that's it. Everything else got dropped in that moment for what was most important. Danger in the case of the sailors or, or my wife in great pain, in my case, serves to remind us very quickly of our own weaknesses and our frailty. And as Christians, moments like these should send us to our knees as we bow before our God, who we know has all power, who has all the resources available at his grasp, and who cares so deeply about his own sheep. Whether you think about it regularly or not, you need God every single moment of every single night. And you need him every moment of every single day. God has actually built weakness into our bodies in such a way that it reminds us of how much we need him. Just think about food for a moment. These men on the boat have gone 14 days without eating. How weak and tired must they be? If we go even maybe one meal without eating, your stomach usually reminds you. Or if it's a couple, it definitely is reminding you. Maybe this morning you're already thinking about lunch and where you're going to go to Los Amigos or somewhere else like that already. Like there's a constant reminder in us of a need, of a weakness that we need to be satisfied. But another example, another example is our need for sleep. God has designed our bodies in such a way that one third of our lives, every single day, must be devoted to submit ourselves to his care. doesn't matter how strong you are, how wise you are, how young you are. Every, every day, you're going to lay down on your pillow and you're going to close your eyes and you're going to entrust yourself to a faithful God to sustain you. He builds this into us. He shows us our weakness right from the get-go. In the darkest of nights, and, and I don't just mean in the nighttime, like midnight. What I mean is during those dark nights of the soul, where we see our need, where we're hurting and, and weak, even when we feel discouraged, 
Wisdom in action looks like us going to the Lord in prayer. Calling out to the one who holds and sustains all things. Paul's encouragement to us in Romans 12, 12 shows us the marks of a true Christian. At least some of the marks of a true Christian. He says it's this. He says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. We are in great need. And he calls us to constantly go to the Lord in prayer. We need to be a praying people. And as Mitchell mentioned already this morning, this is also the reason why at the beginning of the year, every year, we desire to have a week of prayer as a body. First and foremost, to thank God for his faithfulness over the last year. But also to seek, Lord, how would you desire us to serve? What would you desire us to do? God, how would you desire us to minister in our community and outside of our community? We need the Lord's help. We need his strength. We need his wisdom. We need his guidance. And so I encourage you and I welcome you. Come to our church tonight at 630 and come every night this week so we can be seeking the Lord together, praying and depending upon him to lead us and giving glory to his name. But let me ask you a follow-up question. You're like, that sounds great. But what about when I don't pray regularly? What about when I forget to pray or when prayer is the last thing on my mind and I don't do it very often? I have good news for you. You have a Savior in Jesus who is seated even now on his throne who is making intercession to you, uh, for you to the Father. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so not only is Jesus praying for us, but the scriptures tell us in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is praying for us too. So not just Jesus, but the Spirit. Romans 8.26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So even when your prayers are weak or stumbling or utterly inconsistent, the Lord's prayers for you are powerful and perfect. And so as we look to that calling to pray, Encouragement to pray, we recognize that that's a right inclination in those places of fear and darkness. But in verses 30 through 32, we see a second response from the crew that presents itself in that darkness. The sailors panic and they hatch a plan on, they hatch a plan to escape on the small boat, saying that they're going to try to drop anchors from the front of the ship, but really, they plan to leave everybody else behind. I don't know how many can fit on that small boat, 5, 10, 15. There's 250 some odd other people that they're willing to let die so that they could escape. But do you notice what Paul does here in the passage? If you look at verse uh, 30 and 31, we see that Paul intervenes. Here's where wisdom leads to action for Paul. Remember, we're talking about the need for wisdom and how to apply it in these situations. Wisdom here looks like Paul acting and speaking up 
It leads him to action here. He doesn't just sit back and rest on the promises of God that everyone will be spared. And yet he knows that that is true. He reminds them of that very promise later and also in verse 26. He believes the Lord. He knows that the ship needs its sailors, though, as well. And so he says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. This is what he tells the Julius the centurion. He's trying to get that guy to, to move. And Paul's actions here in verse 31 show us that there is no contradiction between the promises of God and the need for us to act on those promises with wisdom. Both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are emphasized here. God's promises are true. They will always come to be. There's not one of his promises that will fail. Over and over and over in the scriptures, we see that this is true. Just one example is Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The answer to that question is of course not. He will never do that. When he speaks and says he will act, he will act always, definitively. It will come to pass. In these verses here, we see that the actions of Paul and the soldiers and the sailors, all of them together, are instrumental in God's promises actually being fulfilled. He works through all of them to bring those promises to pass. And so we have to be honest and say, there is a mystery to us in some sense how these two things work together. And yet, we must be unapologetic in affirming what the Scriptures say. Our actions matter. We make real decisions every day. And God's promises will not fail. You see, God's grace is not opposed to effort. And His promises are not opposed to wisdom. They go together. So God's sovereignty, man's responsibility are both upheld as being vital and important, necessary. And so if you are a person that tends toward passivity, there's a strong encouragement here from the Lord that God's promises should embolden you to action. In fact, we see this very clearly in Psalm 37, verse 3. And it says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Right, Both of them coming together, the promise and the action. Trust in what he said and do good. There's a call to action that rests on the promise. And so brothers and sisters, as we're being called to boldness, we can share boldly in things like missions because we know that we have received power when the Holy Spirit's come upon us as we are to be witnesses of God in the world, as he says in Acts 1.8. We can have confidence in teaching and counseling that God's word is actually able to change, not just other people, but even ourselves, because the word of God will not return void, but it shall accomplish that for which it purposes and shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it, Isaiah 55, 11. See, brothers and sisters, God's promises are true in our homes. When we as parents are called to lead and shepherd our kids, they're true there. His promises are also true in our jobs, though, where we're called to live out our faith 
in obedience to Christ. Even when sharing what we believe is actually contrary to the standards that our jobs might say are right and good. We have a responsibility and an obligation to share who we are, our faith in Christ there, and trust the Lord because his promises are true there. True in our schools, on our teams, in every single possible place in anywhere in the universe, God's promises are true and will happen. You see, brothers and sisters, we can't be silent. We can't be passive when we see danger in front of us, when that chaos is raging. We are called as Christians to be light in the darkness, as Jesus is the light who shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it, cannot overcome it. But the light of Christ is needed especially as we pray against the darkness in our own society, in our own culture. Mitchell shared with us earlier about this new legislation in Canada. There's a law being passed there. Literally, it says that it's illegal to teach that God creates people as male and female. And it's illegal to counsel someone struggling with same-sex attraction to confess and repent and to cling to Jesus. And that's not just happening over the border, so we're safe. Legislation like that has been proposed already in Indiana. And if it's not in Indiana, it's probably going to be somewhere else. There's an encouragement for us as Christians. We need to act, trusting in God's promise, faithfully desiring to love our neighbors, but to be uncompromising in the truth, to be uncompromising in what God says is good, and also to call sin for what it is as God describes it as sin. It's not because we're hateful. It's because we desire to love God and, and serve as a witness to a dying world that their hope is in Christ alone. And there's freedom from sin and joy in Christ forevermore. And so there's the encouragement to the passive. But there's also encouragement for the one that isn't passive. Maybe this is you where you don't feel like you have trouble acting. In fact, you, you act very quickly. You're quick to respond to, to danger, chaos. You're quick to call things out. So if that's you, I want you to think about this. How or when you respond, what does it flow out of? That quick response. Does it flow out of fear at times? Because we've seen that fear can lead to foolish actions. Or how about pride? Does it manifest itself in the way that you're acting? You know, Do you act more out of, I don't know, trying to protect your own name? as opposed to being honest about your own failures. There's lots of different times in which, you know, we have trouble acting in a way that is righteous and good. And so we need wisdom from the Spirit to help us apply the truths and promises of God to our circumstances so that we would respond rightly. So let us pray. Let us pray that God would give us wisdom so that we would be able to put our faith in action, those promises that we would live in light of them, and so that our wisdom would lead out into things that are good. And so this is, the, this is the first main idea that we're talking about today. We need wisdom in the night, in this place of darkness and chaos, so that we would pray, that we would seek the Lord because we need him, but also that we would act in a way that is serving as a light and a witness to him. But we also see in verses 33 through 38 that we need wisdom at the dawn, we need wisdom as we are preparing for the day that's to come before us. 
as we see back in the text, by God's grace, the anchor's held through the night. And because of Paul's actions, the crew's escape plan was actually stopped. Two dangers have actually passed, but there's more that are going to lay ahead. And so as dawn is breaking, and as the sun is getting ready to reveal to the men the difficult path to safety, Paul takes a moment to prepare them for what is to come and to encourage them. So look back at the text with me, verses 33 to 38. This is what it says. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you must continue in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So these men on the boat, just as a reminder, they haven't eaten for 14 days. And Paul tells them now is the time to eat for they're going to need their strength for what's to come. In Paul's encouragement to eat, he reminds these men of the promise that God has made to them that not one of the hairs on their head will perish. Not one. Here is wisdom and promise coming together. This is what God says is going to happen. A shipwreck where we're all going to be saved. Therefore, you need to put You need to eat food so that you would have strength to be able to survive the ordeal. So get up, eat, for God is going to protect you, but you're going to have to act in light of these promises. And so as Paul takes the bread and breaks it, he gives thanks to God in the presence of all these men, and he begins to eat. And verse 36 tells us that they were greatly encouraged, and they ate as Paul told told them to do. And so the leadership that we see of Paul here is, is good. He's leading by doing the very thing he's encouraging these men to do. He eats. And in the eating, he gives thanks to God. See, now's not the time for him to be sheepish or quiet or reserved. Here, no, is the time for him to stand. And he does before 275 other guys. And he prays a prayer of thanksgiving to God so that everyone heard it. Here he serves as a witness. He's pointing to God as he eats in faith. And he's saying, God is the one that's going to sustain us. His promises will not fail. But we need to eat so that we can act. And so I want to encourage you today as you go out to your meals, if it's the visitor's luncheon, which is today, do it there too. But if it's somewhere else and you're not in the building, pray over your meal at the table. We should not underestimate the importance of praying in public. You know, not only does it help us to be thankful to God and give him glory for his kindness to us, but it serves as a public witness to the world of our trust in God to meet our needs. This both encourages other believers and it gives us lots of opportunities for conversation. I can remember multiple times where we as a preaching team would go to places like McAllister's or Witch Witch and we'd either be just talking about the passage or just praying over a meal. And people would come over to us and they would share prayer requests. They would tell us what's happening in their lives. They would ask us about what we're studying. They would ask us a question about the scriptures in general because we were praying at the table. 
They, they saw that as an opportunity to ask. It served as a witness and encouraged them if they were a believer or if they were not, that they could come and talk to us. So I want to encourage you to do that as a, as a way to be a witness in our community. But here, it's not just Paul's public prayer. Paul's example is helpful because we see that in the morning, when we wake up and at the first part of the day, we need wisdom to be prepared for what is in store each and every day. I don't mean that we know that what each day has in store coming down the road because we don't. God, God changes the way that things are going to go from what we plan all the time. But what I do mean is that we need to seek Christ and be encouraged by fellowship with him as our days begin. You see, to prepare these men for action, not only does he tell the men to eat, but he reminds them of the promise that God has made to deliver them safely to the shore. This promise serves as an anchor to tether us to hope when we're storm-tossed and battered. And I don't just mean on an ocean, but his promises tether us to truth and stand like a bedrock when your world is rocked, when you don't know what's going on or what's going to happen tomorrow. God promises to deliver them safely to shore, and Paul reminds them. But he also tells them to prepare their minds for action so that they would be confident and joyful in that promise as they go. And so let me ask you a question. What do you need to be reminded of in the morning, in the daytime, as you prepare for action? What do you need to remember you see, Mitchell told us last week that not only do we need to preach to ourselves, but we need to be preaching the promises of God to ourselves. That's a good practice for us to do. So let me add to that and say, not only do we do that, but we need to be practicing and preaching the promises of God to ourselves proactively in the morning as we wake up before we even get out of bed at times so that we would be prepared for the day. You know, as we think about our struggle with sin, let us remember that our battle with sin will one day be over. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. Let this promise of God's presence with you ring out in the morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let us remember the depth of God's love for us that no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 37 through 39. We need to be reminded of these things in the morning before we get out of bed even. But what about when you're holding on to the wreckage of your plans? Your plans don't go like you think they will. Or in the passage, not that we're going to be in the middle of the ocean, but there's a visual example of them floating in the middle of an ocean on a board. I'm pretty sure that's not how they thought the day was going to go at the beginning. What do you need to be reminded of when you're holding on to this wrecked plans? How about this? Remember your security in Christ. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. John 10, 27 through 30. And when your life seems storm-tossed and wrecked, remember that our ultimate home is with God, not here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21, verse 3. So in the morning, the encouragement that we see, we need wisdom in the morning. We need, we need the promises of God applied to us in the morning so that we would know how to act. So that those promises would inform our action and encourage us to serve the Lord as he sees fit. And the last thing that we see, we need wisdom to be able to live in a manner worthy of Christ. We need, we need wisdom to know how to live in the day. That being a metaphor for just, you know, the rest of our life. After we've woken up, as we're going about our day, we need wisdom to know how to do that. At last, in our passage in verse 39, the sun is finally up. And the sailors can see the land, but they don't recognize it. We find out later that this is the island of Malta, though they didn't know it yet. And they see a bay in which they, they're going to attempt to get across to the shore. So after 14 days, the shore is in sight, but there is a lot between where they are and that shore. One by one, the things that they might have counted on for safety, God has cut away. Think about it. In the night, the lifeboat, some of them might have tried to escape. It's been cut away. Food that they might have clung to and thought, well, if we have to stay on the ship for a while, at least we have food. After they ate, what did they do? They threw it overboard and all the other supplies to lighten the ship. And here we see, lastly, that last thing that was keeping them from heading toward the rocks, the anchors, they cut them away as well. One by one, those things that were lesser saviors need to be cut away. You see, the Lord does this. Paul encourages us about this idea in 2 Corinthians 1.9. And he says that God does these kinds of things to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, this is one of those moments where if the people desire to be delivered, they need to trust the Lord. They need to know that he will keep his word, that he will act. You see, wisdom and promise coming together to inform their actions. But they must trust in the Lord. You see, our hope is not in ships. It's not in flawed plans. It's not in our own strength. God has stripped those things away to show that our true and lasting hope is from our Father, who raises the dead. And his son Jesus, our savior who died for us, there is no other way for salvation except through him. And so in God's kindness, as many of you will testify, he strips away all of those other things to see that our hope alone is in Christ. There is but one way to salvation and it is through him. But in him we have life and we have joy and we have relationship with the father forevermore. And so the men need to be delivered and they need the Lord to keep his word, but they need to act. And so when the time is right, the crew raises the small foresail to try to navigate to the beach and they lower the rudder so they can attempt to be able to get into the bay. 
But just as Paul had told them the ship gets stuck on a reef or a sandbar and the backside of the ship is being totally destroyed by the waves, so it's stuck at the front, the back is just being wiped out. There's danger here by the sea. The ship is being broken up, so there's danger there. And then there's one last bit of danger that comes right in the side of land. And it's this, the soldiers panic. As the chaos is going on around them, they panic. And they want to kill the prisoners because they're afraid they might try to escape. If the prisoners escape, the soldiers are going to be put to death for their error. And so they're only thinking about themselves here. Thinking about what might get them across. What might save them. Nothing else. But unlike those soldiers who panic and and trust in themselves, we who love Jesus can trust in the Lord and do good. It's the Holy Spirit who implants the promises of the Lord deep in our hearts, allowing us to be calm when everything else around us seems chaotic. And it's his promises that give us joy when otherwise the circumstances might cause us to go to fear. And so as we trust in God by faith and depend upon the Spirit, we can be calm and we can act with wisdom wherever he places us, whether it be on the front lines of a hospital whether it's taking care of four or five little kids or whether it's staring down a storm at sea. And so where the Roman soldiers here were given over to fear and foolishness, we see a contrast in Julius, the centurion. He's calm here. He he has a fondness for Paul having seen Paul's character, having seen the way that God has used him, having heard those very promises that Paul has declared. He doesn't panic, but he desires to protect Paul. So he orders all of the men to get into the sea. Those that can swim, go overboard first. If you can't swim, grab onto a plank and you're going to float on in. God even provides the boards for their escape. See, this this shipwreck was no accident. God has placed Paul, the greatest missionary ever known, with a captive audience of 275 plus men so they continually hear the good news of the gospel. And even when the ship crashes, they're able to float on that debris into the shore safely. But where do they crash? They crash on Malta, which we're going to hear next week. The gospel goes to Malta Because they crashed there. All over this story, we see God's sovereignty in action, bringing the gospel to bear in the sailors, in the soldiers, in Julius, and ultimately also to those in Malta. God's grace is over all of it. He's protecting all of them, and he's directing it by his sovereign hand. As you see the picture on the screen, Uh, Ray Ortland shares a story of John Wesley. He was that famous Methodist pastor uh, about his journey across the Atlantic on a boat named the Simmons. And this is not a picture of the Simmons. It's just a cool looking ship on the sea in a storm. But it was during this time that he was having a sort of crisis of faith. He was traveling with a group of Moravian missionaries who were having a worship service on the deck of the ship. And then a storm comes. And it's, it's a bad storm. So much so that Wesley, in his own words, says the English 
There was a terrible screaming and shrieking among them. He's English, so he can say that. But those German missionaries, those Moravians, they looked up to the sky, and you know what they did? They continued to worship. They continued singing their songs to God as if nothing was happening. And Wesley was so taken aback by this, so shocked by their actions, he actually goes up to one of the men later and says, were you not afraid? And the man answered, I thank God. No, I wasn't. So he asked, but were not your women and children afraid? It's like, at least were they afraid? And he answered kindly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. Portland shares, Wesley then knew that something was missing from his life. He found it in Christ. He found all that he needed to face life and death in Christ alone. So may we too have a faith like this, brothers and sisters. May we continue to sing of the glories of Christ as an example to the world. And may we act with wisdom because we have a hope that is unshakable in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would do that very thing, that we would sing with unshakable and unsinkable joy because of who you are. Your promises are true and they are for us in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we as your people, whether we're in this building or in our homes, would rejoice and that we would sing uh, for your name and for your glory at this time. Lead us in hope. In Jesus' name, amen.